All right. Hey, what's going on, TLC? Good to see all you guys here with us. Uh, hello to everybody at home. We are, I'm going to give one more message in the series of Foundation. I was thinking about starting a new series today, uh, but I realized that if I start a new series next week, we're going to have joint service. There'll be interruptions. So I wanted to kind of just finish off the Foundation uh, series for us with this, uh, this picture of the end of history, the hope that we have as believers, right? I wanted to share with you guys that because if you understand the hope of what's to come, if you understand that you are living in the time where there is hope, you have the ability to actually endure and go through whatever it is that God has placed you in in this situation today, right? Like I said before, the reason why we came up with a series called Foundation is because what we saw in the heart of the Christian community right, last year was a heart that was really divided in terms of the way they interacted with people. It was divided in the way they, they vilify and they created sides in that. And I, and, I, and I believed that the reason why we had that type of mentality, that type of uh, nuance was because believers forgot their foundations. They forgot the foundation of their faith. They forgot what they have built their life upon. And because they have forgotten that, they went along with the cultural narrative that begins to create sides and division among people. And so our hope, my prayer is that this series, what it does is that it brings us back to the basic level of what we believe in and to remember that we are driven by the cross of Jesus Christ, his love for us. We talked about a lot of different things, but today I just want to end this series with the picture of progress and hope. Okay, so if you go open your Bibles to Revelations chapter 21, Revelations chapter 21, this is the picture of the end of days, the end of history itself, right? Did you know that if you, if you ever understood uh, the, the concept that history is making progress, that we're, we're moving in a, in a place of progression, the idea that his, history is moving towards better hope? all the time, that idea was not some evolutionary idea. That idea came from Scripture. You guys realize that? Whoever coined that term or whoever came up with that picture that history is developing and growing towards greater hope, it's because they got that foundation from Scripture. The origination of that idea is from the passage we're about to see today. It is a picture that things are moving towards hope, Right? And in the end of history is what we see and where we have the strength to endure these things. So open your Bible to Revelation chapter 21, we're going to verse 1 through 6. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. Check this out. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and, we, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give, drink, I will give to drink without cost 
from the spring of water of life, right? Revelation, and then go to Revelation chapter 22, verses 1. We're going to just read verse 1. Revelation chapter 22, verses 1. It goes like this. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. All right? Most ancient texts tells us that history is cyclical, cyclical, cyclical. Most ancient texts tells us that history is cyclical, meaning that it doesn't progress anywhere, it just repeats itself, right? It's actually in Scripture, in the Bible, that we see a picture that history is progressing towards hope. It's progressing towards, right, uh, a better tomorrow. It's progressing towards a good progress here. And what we see in this picture was, what we're going to learn about what, this, what, what the Revelation is telling us is, what does the Bible say at the end of history? What does the Bible say at the end of history? If we understand this, it will give you the ability to have hope in today's uh, age. It will give you to have hope to deal with whatever suffering or journey or ups and downs you may be going through if you understand the end of history. Okay? So three things we're going to learn today. We're going to learn, one, the hope that the original readers of Revelation had, okay, uh, needed. What was the hope that they needed uh, in, in, their, in their context, in their time? Two, what was the hope that they got? And three, how can you have this hope? Okay? So first thing we're going to figure out, we're going we're gonna to answer is, what was the hope that the original readers of Revelation needed? What was the hope that they, that they were hungry for, that they desired, that they needed in their life to endure their journey, okay? Open your Bibles, Revelation chapter 22, verses 1. Let me read that to you. Or 20, sorry, 21, verse 1. And it says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. See, the original readers, the original readers, they were Christians at the end of the first century. At the end of the first century, they were facing what? They were facing persecution. They were facing imprisonment. They were facing suffering. And they were facing terrible death. Their Christian life back then was not like the Christian life we see today, where we have the ability to worship our God. They were placed in prison to worship their God. They were fed to the lions because they worship our God. They were, um, they were, they, they, they were killed because they worshiped our God. And so John, the writer of Revelation, he wrote this as a way of offering and giving them hope. And what was the hope that they needed? Okay? The only way that you can deal with the present struggles, whatever you may be going through, sickness, death, loss of a job, right? Family's not working out for you. Your relationship is going haywire. The only way that you can deal with the trouble now is if you have the expectation of the future that enables you to do, actually deal with the present time. The only way that you can deal with your current suffering, that's what hope does. Hope gives you the ability to deal with your current suffering if you understand the expectations of the future. That enables you to deal with your present. Without that, you wither. Without hope, you wither, right? You guys ever see the, the story of Pandora Box, uh, the, 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 the mythical uh, legend or tale of Pandora's Box? Pandora, she was this curious girl, and then God, the gods made this box, right? And they said, do not open this box. Everything is perfect. Don't open this box. But, you know, Pandora being uh, quizzical, she opens the box, and what she did was she unleashed into the world all the evil that was there, 
And then in the midst of all of seeing all this evil, she just felt this other, other emptiness because she realized nothing is ever going to be good again. Nothing is ever going to be beautiful again. Nothing is ever going to be great again. And then the God told her, but at the end of the box, the last thing that came out of it was hope. See, you can deal with your present suffering if you have a real hope, a true hope that enables you to deal with what's happening here. Without hope, you wither. That's true. It doesn't matter how, what, what form of faith you believe in or where you come from. Everybody has a form of hope that they hold on to in order to deal with their life. And what I'm trying to tell you today is that in the Christian hope, the hope that these guys needed was something that was so awesome, so beautiful, so nuanced, so multidimensional. This hope enabled them to do things that nobody else thought was possible. This hope helped them to deal with their uh, present circumstances in such a way that nobody thought was capable, that they were capable of doing it. And what was this hope? Okay? Some people would say, you know, I put my hope in my relationship, in my marriage. I put my hope in my work because what I'm doing has meaningful, uh, uh, is, is meaningful. It's meaningful stuff, which, what, what I'm doing. Some people put their hope in their families. I put my hope in my, in, in, in my children, in my husband, in my wife, right? However, the hope that you need, it has to be not just simply that. It has to be more multidimensional than that. It has to be both transcendent and realistic, it has to be a realistic hope, but it also has to be a transcendent hope. And the hope that John offered to the people in the first century was that. He offered the hope that was both transcendent and realistic. It says what? I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. What is a transcendent hope? Transcendent hope is a hope that that makes you realize, right, you, to know that um, if, if what God says is, is true, a hope that I can face anything. A transcendent hope is that if you understand of who Jesus is, it gives you the ability to face anything, right? I'll give you an example of a story. There was a story of a, of a, of a news reporter who wrote about, he, he got in a car accident and he lost his leg or he lost the uses of his legs. And he was placed in a room with someone else who lost the usage of his legs. And as he was, you know, sitting there, they, they, you know, bed buddies, they were talking to each other, this guy who lost his legs, his, uh, his bed buddy, was, um, was, was, was not making any plans for future, was not going to continue his education, was not focusing on anything in the future. And so the reporter asked, so why are you doing this? And the guy in the bed who just lost his legs, who can no, no, he can no longer walk, this is what he says. He says, I am going to wait seven years to see if there's a cure. And if there's not, then I'm going to kill myself. That is a man who does not have a transcendent hope. That is a man who does not have a hope that can help him face the reality of his situation. That is a man who does not have a transcendent of hope that allows for him to continue to work and to live and to carry on his life because he believes there's nothing to hope for. Same story. I forgot her name, but there was, a, there was a Christian lady who also lost. She's actually a quadriplegic. And she wrote, she wrote this amazing excerpt. And this is what she says. When I, when I 
stand before the throne, the first thing I will do is I will get on knees. I will get on knees of unwavering grace and gratitude and bow before my king. And then I'm going to stand and dance, right? And this woman who wrote this, she lived a very fruitful and faithful life, even though she was a quadriplegic. I'll, I'll get you the name later. Johnny? Johnny? Johnny yes, Johnny Erickson Tata. Thank you, Elon, right? right? She, she wrote that, and she said, that is a woman. That is a woman who has a transcendent hope. That is a woman who lived her life, though she was quadriplegic, though she could not move, she lived her life enduring that because she had a hope for the future. And I know some of you guys are thinking, well, that's nice, and it's probably wishful thinking because, you know, if you, if you, if you have that kind of mindset, you kind of, you know, go through life like that. You're true. You're right. Because not only are you supposed to have a transcendent hope, you have to have a realistic hope. A hope that deals with the reality of today. You can't be naive about what's happening, right? A lot of people, they don't have a realistic hope. So when bad things happen to them, they begin to say, why is this happening to me? They're naive to think that if I do everything right, everything else should go right for my life. See, a Christian who understands transcendent hope and realistic hope, a a believer, a follower of Jesus, realizes, yes, there will be a day where I can face I can face anything in my life because there will be a day when everything will be made new. But then at the same time, I can deal with the difficulties of life today. I am not sh- shaken up when my guy wasn't elected as president. I'm not shaken up if my culture doesn't flow the way I want it to flow. I'm not shaken up when things around me don't go the way I want them to go. I am not shaken up when things around me go bad. Because why? I live in a realistic hope. I know, I know that things aren't going to be this way. Because it's only at the end of history when all of reality becomes, when all of my possible dreams is made reality. See, a Christian has both transcendent hope and realistic hope. A transcendent hope that can help them face anything that they're going through, but a realistic hope to make them realize, yeah, life sucks. It's going to be hard. I'll give you an example. I have a, uh, I have a friend of mine, you know. Um, she, she, she had a transcendent hope. She believed that in his, things are going to be great. She, she, she loved God, right? And, and, and she went about her life doing the things that a person who loved God would do. She went to service. She served the church. She blessed people. She got her life together. Her life wasn't together. She got it back together. She started doing what she felt was the right thing to do. And... It came about later on that she could not conceive a child. And it broke her. Because she thought to herself, I did everything right. I had everything right. Why is this possibly happening to me? Because her hope was not realistic. Her hope was not, she felt like because I've done something right, everything good should happen to me. That's not realistic. The realistic hope is what? For a Christian. Things aren't going to go the right way because the world is a broken world. But there will be a day, there will be a day at the end of history when all my greatest dreams will be made reality. And therefore, I am not naive when I see things not go the way that I want them to go. 
I am not shaken up when things don't show up the way I want them. I am not broken when things get hard. There is a transcendent and realistic hope. And that's what the original readers needed. That's the hope that they needed, a transcendent and a realistic hope. And guess what? John, the author, was speaking to this audience, and what were they going through? They were going through deep suffering, and he wanted to give them a hope that was transcendent and realistic enough so that they could face anything. And guess what? It's a matter of history. It's a, it's a fact of history that this hope worked, that this hope actually did it. You know why? Because history tells us what? Christians walked into the arenas of the gladiators being fed to lions while singing hymns. They faced their death knowing that they were going to be killed, realistically understanding that life at this time is not going to be great, having a transcendent enough hope to realize that in the, there will be a day when all things are made new. And they walked into the gladiatorial coliseum singing hymns to the Lord. It was a simple matter of fact that when the plague hit, they stayed in the city and took care of people dying in the process as they quarantined those who were sick, those whom family members have abandoned. Christians would take these people up, place them in their own homes, place them in their own quarantine, nurse them back to life at the cost of their own life. Why? Because this hope was transcendent and realistic enough. My question to you guys is very simple. Right? What is it that you are facing now? What is it that you're going through now? What is it that is tugging at your heart, that's making life miserable for you? What is it that you cannot seem to grasp your hand around? Right? If you have this hope, if you have this hope, I tell you, you will be able to face it. If you have this hope, you can face anything. And one of the reasons why Christianity has such a credible, has such credibility in the Roman Empire, one of the reasons why it grew, and one of the reasons why it came to dominate the Roman Empire back in the days was because of the Christians' ability to deal with suffering due to hope. The Christians were able to deal with suffering like no other group of people could. They dealt with suffering that no one else was able to deal with. They faced suffering with poise, with strength, with foundation, with a hope, and they faced it with confidence. Because why? They had a transcendent and a realistic hope. Now, what is this hope? Okay? What is this hope that they got? Uh, look at verse, uh, verse uh, 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. In, in the book of Revelation, it's apocalyptic literature. And so what you see in apocalyptic literature is you see this combination of history, reality of history, and poetry combined together, right? You see a city that's dressed as a bride, right? You see a lamb sitting on a throne. These are images. And why, why were there images? Because they were trying to convey as much information as quickly as possible. And if you would meditate on this information, you would see the nuance of all the whole thing. So the apocalyptic literature used a lot of these images to help us see things, right? And so in these passages, what we see is what we see the hope that they got. What was the hope that they got? Three hopes that they got from here. Verse 2, it says, I saw a holy city. The first hope they got was a love 
of infinite density. A love of infinite density. The hope that they received was a love of infinite density. Why was it called a city? Because it was conveying density of people, lots of people. It, wasn't say, it didn't say the, the holy farmland came down. It didn't say like the holy suburbs came down. It says the holy city came down. Because why? There's a lot of people in the city. And when you're in the city, when you're around a lot of people, it gets scary, doesn't it, sometimes? Right? Because when you're around a lot of people, you, some, there's something that triggers in your heart that says, I want to be known by them. I mean, that part of me really wants them to know who I am. But at the same time, I'm kind of afraid that they will reject me if they know who I am. Part of me wants to be loved by them. But to be loved by them, I, they need to know who I am. But we live in a world where we can't be transparent with each other. We live in a world where we're, 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 we're afraid to be loved and to be fully known. You know why? Because if we are transparent with each other, if people knew exactly what's happening in our hearts, the biggest fear, the biggest nightmare that we would have is that you would be rejected, that we would be rejected because of it. See, in the Garden of Eden, we were naked and unashamed. You know why? Because it was pure transparency. There was no fear of rejection. There was no fear of being judged. There was no fear of being looked at. We were naked and unashamed. The heart that you have, whether you realize it or not, the heart that you have in your reality here is this. You want to be loved. And you want to be known. That's why when you, when you, when you ask people, like relationships, I, a real good relationship to a lot of people is what? If they know me. They really know me. If you ask, like, why do you like this guy so much, right? You should answer, he knows everything about me. Does he really, right? I mean, that's usually the, the phrase that they say, or I love her because she knows everything about me and she accepts me. Very romantic, very sweet, but that is the language that we use because why? In our heart of hearts, we want to be fully known and fully loved. You guys get me? We want to be fully known and fully loved. In our fallen human world, though, this is the problem. You can be loved, but not all that well-known. People can love you, but they may not know you. They can love you, but they may not know you. Because if they know you, there's a big fear that what? They will reject you. Right? Because you can be fully known, transparent, and then what happens? Completely not loved. How many of you guys, you know, you go online and whether you're dating online or you're, uh, you talk to somebody and all of a sudden they, they stop talking to you. Things were going great and they just ghosted you, right? Have it ever happened to you guys? Is it just me? Anyways, right? <laughs> that sounds sad, right? They just ghost you. And, and you know when they ghost you, the thing that goes through your mind, thing that, well, at least it goes through my mind, I was like, did I say something? Did they see something about me that they didn't like? And so, therefore, they rejected me. It's very sad, right? It's a very sad. To be known, to have yourself be transparent, and then be rejected. That's the worst feeling. But then you can have yourself be loved, and yet they don't know anything about you. They love an idea of you. You go around, and you put up this persona of who you are, and everybody loves that persona, but then you're, you're, you're at home, and you're sad, and you're sick to your mind because you're thinking, they don't really know me, though. And when the Bible says this, I saw the holy city, a place of immense density. What happens? When the new heaven and the new earth comes, 
the Bible says all relationship will be made perfect. You are going to be, look at the people around next to you, those of you guys here, and look at your home, people at home, that you'll be with somebody next to you, in front of you, behind you, and they will know you. They will know you completely, and you'll be loved completely. You guys imagine that? That is the hope that John was giving to the early believers. He said, you will not only be known, transparent, but they will know you and they will completely love you. You will be a part of a city. You will be part of a crew. You will be part of a family. You will be part of a generation where you are known completely, transparently, and in knowing you, they will love you. That is the hope. That's the hope a lot of us are chasing after when we try to find the right husband or the right wife, isn't it? We're trying to find somebody that we can be completely transparent about, they know us completely, and yet still accept us. That's why when we look at Jesus Christ, our hearts melt. You know why? Because we see Jesus and we know that he knows us completely. He knows us like nobody else knows us. He knows us in a way deep down that nobody else understands. And we know because of Scripture, it tells us what? And in that, still, in that place of your other brokenness, darkness, he says, I love you. And that's what changes so many of our lives, has it not? He says, I love you. And the hope of Scripture says what? There will be a day where you will be known. Look about, think about this. Think about who you are. Think about what you do in secret. Think about the things you think about. Think about if people actually knew who you are, will they not reject you? Would you aren't you afraid that they might reject you at least? If they knew what the, the things that go through your mind, the things that you feel. And yet scripture tells us what? One day you'll be transparent. People can look right at you and they will see you and they will love you. That's the city that's, hope, that's promised to us. That's the hope that's available, that's coming. All right? The deepest longing of our hearts. But the second thing that was promised here, the hope that's given to them, the hope that they got, was personal beauty. Because here's the thing. How, how, how is it possible to have perfect love like that in the future, PT? I mean, it's nice to talk about, but how is that possible that that such perfect love, such transparent love will actually happen in the future because of the second hope that was offered to them? It is the hope of personal beauty. Look at the description here. It says that the holy city, the people of God, right, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. A bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I don't care if I'm the only one who thinks this. I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one who thinks this. It doesn't matter who you are. When a sister wears her wedding gown, isn't it the most beautiful thing in the world? Like she walks down the aisle and you just, the first thing that comes to your mind is, she's beautiful, right? That's why you don't see weddings happening, you know, underwater when you're just having bathing suits, right? Because that's not as beautiful. You're like, mm, that's kind of weird, Right? I mean, I think there are weddings like that. I'm not going to judge much, right? But there's something about a wedding gown. Wedding gowns are made in such a beautiful way where it covers up so many imperfections. And then when the, when the bride walks down the aisle wearing the wedding gown, 
you can't help but say, wow, she's beautiful. And here is a description of what? The holy city dressed up as a bride for her God, right? Beautifully dressed for her husband. What this is telling us is this. When you become a Christian, Jesus Christ puts the wedding dress of his righteousness on you. He covers up your imperfection so that when the God, the Father, looks at you, he does not say, wow, look at who they are. He looks at you and he says, wow, beautiful, glorious, wonderful. But even more than that, not, just, not, not that, that Christ just merely puts on his wedding, your, the wedding dress of his righteousness on you, the Holy Spirit comes in you and begins to move and work in you to transform you into the image of his Son, into the image of the Father, becoming like him. The Holy Spirit begins to mold you and shape you and transform you. That's why my question to you is this. If you say that you are a believer, have you grown? Have you progressed in your Christian walk? Have you loved more through the years? Have you learned to forgive? Have you learned to become more patient? Because what I saw in 2020 was the opposite of that from a lot of people. What I saw in 2020 was the opposite of that from a lot of different generations. That instead of growing deeper in love, deeper in patience, bearing with one another in love, we saw vilification, we saw vitriol in words, we saw anger, isolation, and separation. See, the Holy Spirit, the, the hope that is given to believers is this, personal beauty. That the Holy Spirit comes in and he transforms you into the woman and into the man that you are meant to be. That you are to be like Christ. This is the hope of the new city. You're finding the way you've always truly deep down wanted to be. That's why you can be completely naked and unashamed. And that's why when you are there, you are fully known and fully loved. Because why? You are beautiful. Some of you guys out there may not think that you're beautiful. You may think you're completely ugly inside and outside, right? Hope not. But anyways, if that is you, the hope that the Bible gives, the hope that is written here is that in Jesus Christ, you wear the wedding gown of his righteousness. It covers up all the imperfections. And on top of that, you are being transformed from the inside out to look like his son. Glorious. There is a glory about you that you don't even know. C.S. Lewis once wrote that if you can see yourself in the state of glory, you would bow down and worship yourself because of how amazing you will be. If you can see yourself in glory, who you were meant to be, you would worship yourself because that is your destiny and that is the hope that's been given. I remember I shared this story so much here, uh, and I love it. It's my youth pastor. We were doing marriage counseling, and I remember my, my youth pastor, he's kind of this really weird, funky guy. He's just awkward in a lot of ways. When he walks, it's not just a normal walk. He walks kind of like, he's just really weird, right? And then he didn't get married until he was like mid-30s. You know? We thought he was going to be celibate for the rest of his life, you know, because it didn't seem like he was able to date a girl at all. And yet, his wife married him. And I remember, I, I didn't get a chance to go to their wedding because I, th I think I was on a mission somewhere, but when I did my marriage counseling with them, and then he walked off, and I asked Sarah, I was like, Sarah, Sarah, 
Tell me why, right? Why did you marry Steve, right? And she looked at me and she said, I look at Steve and what I see is something glorious. And I am excited to walk alongside him to get him there. I see glory. And you know what's beautiful about that? She she, she continues, she says, is that he sees glory in me because I'm not perfect. There's a lot of brokenness here. And that he sees glory in me that he wants me to move towards as well. To look at somebody and to say, you are glorious. That's the personal beauty of hope that's promised here. Right? And it's still you. You understand that? Not only are you moving towards personal beauty, this personal beauty, you're personally still you. You're not some random automaton, robotic person who's all like gleaming with love. You are you in its perfect form. You are you loving the way you were always meant to love. You are you doing the things that you were always meant to be doing in perfect beauty because of glory. That's the hope. You realize that? Look in the mirror. Right? If you don't have a mirror, just, just point your finger at yourself. I am glorious. I will be glorious. Yeah. Somebody else like, I think I'm glorious. Maybe I'm glorious. I don't know. I don't feel that way. I don't feel too secure about that. You know why you don't feel secure about that? Because you don't have the hope of Scripture. The Scripture tells you you are righteous. You are righteous. You hold the wedding gown of Jesus Christ's righteousness. And you are moving towards glory because the Holy Spirit is alive, working in you, transforming you day by day. That is the hope that Christians have. So we have a love that's infinite density to be known, to be fully known. There's a hope of being known and to be fully loved and fully known. And there's a hope of personal beauty. And lastly, lastly, the hope that was offered here is the hope of unbelievable reality. Fantastic reality. Look at verse 3 and 4. Check this out. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Right? Fantastic reality here. What I mean by this. You know, before 1940... Before the 1940s, you probably won't, wouldn't see much fan, fantasy fiction in the library or in the bookstore, right? Today, we see fantasy fiction everywhere. You see sci-fi, you see um, uh, legends, myths, fantasy, modern fantasies, right? You see all these fantasy fiction. And the guy, the dude that pretty much helped bring about fantasy, right, fiction to the reality is who? You know who it is? Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien. He's pretty much the godfather of the fantasy fiction, okay? And he wrote an article saying this, the reason why people love fantasy, even though they, they know it's not reality, they love fantasy even though they know it's not reality. Even The reason why my son loves Pokemon, he loves Bakugan, or he loves what, Power Rangers, right? The reason why he loves all these fantasies, even though he knows it's not, actually he thinks it's reality, but even though it's really not reality, the reason why people love fantasy is this. Because one, you can step out of time, right? When you play video games and you live in the fantasy world of video games, League of Legends or whatever, you step out of time. You're not in your own personal time. You escape death. You can have love without parting. 
communication with non-human beings, and seeing good triumph over evil. That's why people love fantasy. It's these five characteristics. And the reason why we can never get rid of fantasy, because according to Tolkien, the reason why you, can, you, you, you draw towards fantasies, the reason why you draw towards stories, stories like Peter Pan, stories like you know, being young forever, stories like, um, uh, like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, my favorite of all, stories like Lord of the Rings, Right? The reason why we were drawn to those, you know why? Tolkien says it's a memory trace. It's a memory trace. He says that deep down we know that this life is what life should look like. Deep down in the beginning, when Adam and Eve, before Adam and Eve fell, this is how it was, Right? We were created for this. And this feeling that we have now, this longing for it, this desire for it, this wanting of it, it's a memory trace. It's this, it's this, this kind of a shadow of a, of, of, a, of, a, of a memory thinking, I remember that this is what I think I'm meant to be, that I'm created for. To do what? To step outside of time. To escape death. To love without it ever ending to be able to communicate with non-human beings. He's talking to angels here, John, right? To see good overcome evil. The Bible says there will be a day for those who belong to Jesus where there is no more death, tears, pain, mourning, or crying. All those of you who love fantasy, it becomes reality. There will be a day when fantasy becomes reality. See, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. If Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, the deepest longing of our hearts is made true. The longing for what? To be loved and fully known? That is going to happen. That's the hope that's been given. If Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, the deepest longing of our heart is going to be made true. What is that? That you are going to be in glorious beauty. That there will be a glory about you. And then three, you will have a fantastic reality. A fantastic reality. All right? So how can we get something like this? How can we get something like this? How can we get this hope? How can we receive this hope? All right? But before I say that, let me, let me, let me just kind of talk to you guys real fast. You know, pastor, pastor to you guys. If, if Christianity truly offers this, right? Think about this. If Christianity truly offers this hope, a reality beyond our imagination, a beauty for you that is beyond words and to be loved and fully known, the deepest wanting of your heart, why would you not try? At least try to see if it's true. Why would you not at least step into it and say, wouldn't that be nice if it was true? If this is actually true and that is an actual hope I have, why would I not even try to give it a shot? Why would I not even try to step into it? Why am I still lingering around trying to find hope in something that will not last forever? Why am I still walking around trying to figure out hope in my career when at any moment my career can be gone? At any moment I could lose my life or my health. At any moment my family could disappoint. At any moment things can go bad. Why would I not at least step into this and try and explore the idea? Wouldn't it be awesome 
if it was true. And it is. It is. Because history tells us what? The early Christians, knowing of its truth, stepped into reality and lived a life of hope that changed the world around them. Big reason why a lot of us, we don't, we, in our ordinary lives, we cannot change anything. The big reason why we think that we're just basic nobodies is because you live without hope. At least not a hope that's transcendent enough or realistic enough. You live in the hope of whatever is in your bank account. You live with whatever the hope of your everlasting beauty, which you know will not last forever. You live with the hope that maybe the, your relationship that you are holding on to deeply is going to endure all times and ages. It probably won't. You see, when we have a hope that is transcendent and realistic, we can do and face anything that comes our way. We can jump into the forefront of, of, of history and be vessels of change for it because when we can face it. What is so hard when you understand that tomorrow there will be a day when all things are made new. There will be a day. And again, I love the song that, that we sing all the time. It's better as one day in your house. I remember in college when I had the worst of worst days ever and I go into chapel and all of a sudden the, 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 the praise band will come up and they'll sing that song and it's better as one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. It, it literally transports me to this picture that there will be a day where I will stand before God in glorious beauty where there will be no more pain, no more mourning, no more cries, no more tears. Right? Why not give it a shot? Why not seek for it? Why not jump into it? Why continue still to try to figure out your life? Here it is. It's here. But here's my question. How can we get this hope? Okay? How can we get this hope? Let me finish it off with this. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, 5, and 6. How can we get this hope? He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order has passed away. And he, will, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Look at the language that he uses in verse 4. It says, he will wipe, right? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The language here is this language is already not yet. This is, hap- this is not happening now. Utopia is not here, right? Utopia is not here. Yet at the same time, in verse 5, it says what? I am making everything new. He will and I am. His future and his present. Christian hope is nuanced to be enough to be what? Both transcendent and realistic. It keeps you from being naive. The way you receive this hope is you understand the language of already not yet. It's already here. The promise is here. It's going to happen, but it's not yet. You won't see it into fruition till later, right? A Christian look at this life that they live in. They're not naive. They're realistic about this life. You know that not until the end of history will your dreams become a reality. So you expect things to be hard. You expect things to go hard, to, to not be easy for you. Yet on the other hand, you have a transcendent enough hope so that you can face anything. If this is true, you're able to face anything. 
It's already, not yet. How do you receive this hope? You understand this phrase, already, not yet. It's already promised, but it's not yet here. Secondly, how do you receive this hope? Verse 6, it says, He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Keep in mind the language of what? Of grace here. First is the language of the already, not yet. The second language that's spoken here is the language of grace and gift. God's salvation is without cost. All you need to have to receive God's salvation is to say, I am thirsty. I am in need. That's all it is. See, if, if you live your life and you go around thinking that God owes you a good life because of what you've done, right, then you don't understand. Your hope is too fragile. Your hope is basically built on whether you get what you think you want or not. But if your hope is built on this picture of grace, you realize what? God's salvation is without cost. I just need to have him. I just need to be in need of him. And if I am in need, if I say I am thirsty, hope is given to me. Hope is given by grace. And lastly, chapter 22, verse uh, 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Right? It flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Even in the last chapter, Jesus Christ was depicted as the Lamb. Why? Because forever you are to know that he is your substitute. See, throughout Revelation, he was depicted as his Lamb because he is the substitute that brings us life. By his death, we are healed. How do you receive this hope? One, you realize it's already here, not yet. Two, it is by grace, no cost. If you feel like you need to work for it, you, you live in a hope that's too fragile for you. Grace comes to you at no cost. But three, coming to the reality that Jesus Christ is our substitute, that he stands in our place, that he takes the burden of sin, our burden of sin, upon his shoulder. And his death and his resurrection gives you the promise of hope. Church, my prayer is this, as we move into this coming year, is that you live a life of hope. What does that mean? It means that no matter what happens in the culture around you, no matter what happens in the politics around you, no matter what happens in the social media around you, you are not swayed. You are not broken. You are not lost. Because you understand what? Life is going to be hard. Christians back there were fed to lions. You're just mad because, you know, you didn't get the person you want to lead, to, to, be, to, be, to be the president. Christians back then faced death because of plagues. We're sort of dying because of plague, right? It happens. But we had the nuance to do what? To endure in hope. So my prayer is this. Come what may, up or down. Come what may this coming year, great or small, you will live with hope and you will live to bring that hope to people. Let's pray.